to Tales of Panem, a Hunger Games podcast. My name is Claire, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm glad to have you all joining me this week. Make sure to check out my social media, which is at Tales of Panem on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok for updates, episode information, and more. This week's episode will cover chapters 26 through the epilogue of The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Before I get started, I just want to acknowledge that we have reached the end of the series. Um, don't worry, I do intend to keep this podcast going until the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes movie comes out, as that is like why I started it. Um, so I'm going to continue with my character study episodes, as well as covering a variety of topics within the series, rather than doing breakdowns of specific sections. That being said, if you have any requests on episode topics, any characters I haven't discussed yet that you'd like to hear, or just general questions you'd like me to answer, you can always DM me on any of my social media or send me an email at talesofpanam at gmail.com, and I would love to discuss all of those. In addition to all of that, I am going to be switching to a bi-weekly release schedule until the movie is out, so episodes will be released every other week rather than every week. Now, <laughs> let's get into this section. Um, the recap. Listen, I'm going to be so real with you guys. It's like over a full page long and I couldn't make it any shorter. Um, so let me just, let me just read through that really quick. The peacekeeper recruits continue their work trapping birds and returning them to the lab. Dr. K explains how Jabberjays work to Coriolanus and he and Bug are assigned to manage the birds until they are sent to the capital. The Covey has another show at the Hob and Coriolanus meets up with Lucy Gray beforehand. They have an argument about the capital and the rebels. During the show, the Covey performs Lucy Gray's ballad, and Coriolanus notices that Sejanus snuck out for part of the show. The next day, Sejanus and Coriolanus join the Covey at the lake and spend the day with them. While preparing the birds to be transported to the capital, Sejanus approaches Coriolanus and tells him all about the rebels' plan and how he will be involved. Coriolanus records the whole thing using a jabberjay. During the Covey's next show, Coriolanus finds Sejanus coordinating with Spruce and Billy Top. Mayfair Lip catches them, and Coriolanus shoots her to prevent her from telling anyone, and Spruce shoots Billy Top. Shortly after, Spruce is arrested and dies. Sejanus is then arrested and sentenced to be executed for treason. He is hanged along with Lil, Arlo Chance's lover. Commander Hoff thanks Coriolanus for the Jabberjay that allowed them to catch Sejanus and apologizes to him for his loss. The Covey performs at Hoff's birthday party, and Lucy Gray tells Coriolanus she plans to run away as Mayor Lip blames her for Mayfair's murder and she believes he wants her dead. Coriolanus agrees to run away with her, and she sings the hanging tree to discreetly tell him where to meet her. Right before he sneaks off, Hoff informs him that he has passed the officer's exam and is to be transferred to District 2. However, Coriolanus determines that he must still leave because the murder weapons with his DNA are still out there. He and Lucy Gray set off and stop at the lake to gather food and supplies. Coriolanus discovers the missing guns in the cabin and realizes that if he destroys them, he can return to the base and become an officer. Lucy Gray goes out to harvest Katniss, and he feels that she has been gone for too long and worries that she could betray him. He begins chasing her with the gun, but he is bit by a snake that he is convinced she left there to kill him. Coriolanus then dumps the weapons in the lake and returns to base, where the medic informs him the snake was not venomous. When he leaves for District 2, he is instead dropped off in the capital, where Dr. Gall is waiting for him. She informs him that him going to District 12 as a peacekeeper was all part of her plan, and that he will now be studying under her at the Capitol University. The Plints, overcome by grief, look after Coriolanus as though he is their own son and pay for everything he and his family need. Coriolanus pays a final visit to Dean Highbottom, where he learns that he came up with the idea for the Hunger Games, but Crassus Snow took it to Dr. Gall and she made them a reality. Coriolanus poisons a bottle of Morphling that he leaves in Highbottom's office. By the end, he vows to never love anyone again, as he feels it makes him weak, and he intends to become president and continue the Hunger Games when he does. And that is the book. (laughs) Um... 
that recap was more of just like a greatest hits of the last five chapters plus the epilogue because like there is literally no way I could have recapped everything that happened um but we had all the big points wow that was a lot okay now on to my list of things I want to discuss which is also um a full page long and I will not get to all of them so I'm gonna kind of speed run this <sighs> uh, I knew this episode was gonna be jam-packed and I'm I literally am saving some stuff for next week when I'm doing spoilers my Lucy Gray Baird episode is going to be next week but so I'm gonna save some stuff for that because like there is literally no way that I could cover everything that happens in these five chapters specifically as pertains to her and also same with Sejanus because like you really thought I wasn't gonna do a character episode on Sejanus do you even know me um let's talk about trust trust is a big theme in this book specifically in this last part because like Lucy Gray has had experienced a lot of betrayals, a lot of hardship, a lot of people like trying to hurt her throughout her life. And so she finds it really hard to trust people. Um, and obviously as a reader, we know that the last person she should be putting her trust in is Coriolanus Snow. Uh, but of course she doesn't know that. And she, she really wants to trust him and is really like working hard to trust him. Um, because she also, like I've talked about before, just like believes in goodness and wants to see the good in people and can see the good in him, even when like, is there really any, hmm, I don't really know. Um, but yeah, here's the thing though. He's all like, oh, she trusts me. And like to her, that's more important than love. He doesn't trust her. And I'm not even just talking about right at the end. I'm talking about like, he literally never trusts her. First, it's all the like weird jealousy with Billy Top where he's like, oh my gosh, like, is she going to run away, run off with him again? Or like, does she like that kind of stuff, which is like, okay, that's really weird and bad in a relationship to be that like toxically jealous um, of a person she has reassured you. And like, you have actively seen her say that she hates Billy Top and that she's like completely moved on and that he ended up being kind of terrible in the end. But he's still like, oh my gosh, what if she like gets back together with him? Also, I had to write down this line because I was like, no way this man is thinking this. Um, there's this line where he's like, in some ways it had been better to have her locked up in the Capitol where he had always had a general idea of what she was doing. What? And this is a person that you supposedly love and you're like, yeah, but things were better when she was like literally locked up at the zoo because at least then I could keep an eye on her and it's like so you literally don't trust her at all and then obviously spirals and gets worse to the point where he literally is like chasing her down with a gun and it's like why is she running away from me and it's like wow I wonder that's what I know we'll talk about that scene later because like oh my gosh <laughs> this man is literally insane like I can't I can't even um but yeah the whole like it was better when she was locked up in the Capitol and it's like um no, actually, like, and if you really loved her, you would want her to be happy, which, like, you clearly don't care about her own happiness. You only care about, like, you and, and being with her and, like, what that means for you and your feelings and, like, all that stuff. Like, you don't actually care about her or her well-being because if you did, you would never even think stuff like that, much less say stuff like that. Like, it's literally insane. And he doesn't, like, say that to her, obviously, but it's, like, in his brain and I'm like, hmm red flag that's like beyond a red flag that's just like a like warning siren at that point um also I love completely unrelated I don't know why I led into it like it was related to that in any way 
this is the first time we really get into like how do jabber jays actually work because obviously we have known about jabber jays for the entire series like they are not a new thing to this book and we've seen them used like in the original books obviously the big scene that comes to mind is like in catching fire when that one slice of the arena is like the jabber jays that like replicate the voices of your loved ones like screaming for help but we actually learn how jabber jays work in that like and this was actually interesting to me when I read the book because I didn't think there was I mean I should have thought this was the case but for some reason I didn't I never really thought about like the level of control they have over jabber jays because obviously the jabber jays were the capital's creation so they would have some control over them like they wouldn't create something they couldn't control um that's like their whole thing but they literally have like remotes basically that can so like the jabber jays neutral state is neutral like they'll be in neutral mode which is when they can just like hang out and like repeat whatever they want and then they have their like record mode which is where they'll like be silent and like pick up on what people are saying which is like what they would use against the rebels during the war and then they have their like playback mode basically um which is very fascinating to me and just like the way that these birds work and also like the whole thing of like Coriolanus being like oh but they're gonna be happier in like a controlled environment and bug who I just love okay so unrelated I just love that guy he's such he's literally so like the way he's like I just want to like take care of these birds that's my whole deal I'm like I love you um but he's like I don't know man I feel like they're happier just like being in their neutral state out in the wild and Coriolanus is like no that's ridiculous and it's like hmm I am gonna have to go with bug on this one I'm going to have to go with bug on this one um as I do on most things because why would I ever agree with Coriolanus on like literally anything um but yeah, so we learn more of like the actual function of Jabber Jays, which I think is very interesting. And just a little bit more of like their history and the history of the Mockingjays and stuff like that, which is obviously very relevant to the entire series. So it's nice to have a whole section where someone is literally like, here's how this works. Um, in case you were wondering, because I kind of was. Um, so many things on my like topics list are literally just quotes that I was like, this is crazy and wrote it down because um, I wanted to remember all of them. Like I have this one. So here's the the premise for this is that Coriolanus and Lucy Gray get in this argument. It's not even really an argument. Like it's just him being all mad for no reason because she makes a comment about how like her father died. Her father was shot by peacekeepers, basically implying that her father was engaged in like rebel activities and then he got killed for it. And Coriolanus is like, I can't believe she was like her family were rebels like she told me that the cubby didn't take sides in the war but like clearly they did and it's like well yeah what did you think they were gonna be on the capital side like be for real and he gets all like mad because he thinks that she's like accusing him of like being like I don't know the thing is she's literally accusing him of like what he actually is she's just like accusing him of like and she's not even accusing him he thinks that she is of like supporting the capital and then he's like he literally does so like I don't know he just is so mad for no reason Anyway, that's not the point, though. The point is, I've ever done this quote where he's like, and again, this is just like in his in his brain. He's like, most of what the capital did, he supported and the rest rarely concerned him. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? Because first of all, most of what the capital does, you support. OK, because I have seen what the capital is doing. Very interesting that you support that. But also the rest rarely concerned him, a.k.a. like. The treatment of the districts and the hunger games and the hunger games only concerned him because like he got involved in it through being a mentor 
and also like literally being in the arena that one time um but the rest it's the rest rarely concerned him part that I'm like you're that goes beyond like condoning bad things that's literally just being like I don't care if it doesn't affect me directly and I'm like so you have no empathy for other people he literally has no empathy that is the thing and like uh, like this entire book is just more further proof of that um but yeah and also like yeah I don't know that's just so like you're really gonna just turn a blind eye to the horrible things that the capital is doing which like we know he will but it's the fact that he is so like it's the fact that he's self-aware about the fact that he doesn't care about other people like he literally will acknowledge like yeah honestly like okay, maybe the capital is doing bad things, but, like, not to me, so I don't care. Like, he will fully outright acknowledge that, but, like, that's fine to him, and I'm, and he doesn't see an issue with that, which I feel like in, in so many ways is actually worse. Also, yeah, we do get the little information about Lucy Gray's father being killed by peacekeepers, which, like, her kind of, we know some things about her history, but she's in many ways a mystery, which I think is a great, I didn't mean to make that rhyme, but I think that's, like, one of the strengths of her character is that, like, a lot of her character is a mystery and we kind of have to, I mean, like literally the ending of her story is a huge mystery. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to talk about my, what actually happened to Lucy Gray theories this week. Cause I literally don't have time. So I'm going to save it for next week when I do my full episode on her. So just warning you all now, I'm not really going to get into that, but trust I have theories and I do believe I know what happened to her. Um, so tune in next week. Anyway. Yeah. But like, we know her like whole family is dead or like her, basically like her immediate family is all dead. Um, and so that's why she kind of runs with the covey and like, you know, she has like Maud Ivory, who's her cousin and stuff. But, um, and they're all kind of like orphans or like people that don't really have anyone else. And they kind of come together to create this like chosen family, which I think is amazing. I said this a couple weeks ago too. I just love the whole concept for the covey. I think it's absolutely genius. So kudos to Suzanne for coming up with that one because it's just so perfect. Especially the fact that they play music, like just fits so well into this series. But yeah, we do get a little other like tidbit about what potentially happened to her parents. Um, and I think this is the other thing with Coriolanus and Lucy Gray is that he never like, he never really makes an effort to actually understand her. Like he, he, lo he loves this like version of her that he has created in his head. And I know that that's like a cliche or whatever, but like it's very true in this case is that he never actually loved like the real her. And yeah, he never makes the effort to like see her for who she actually is because he doesn't actually care. He's just like, oh, she's this like whimsical, charming girl who came for the games and like won everyone over, like that kind of thing. But like once he goes back to District 12 and sees like her actual life, he's like, I literally don't care. Like I just want her to be with me. Um, which yeah, and the things he like says and thinks about her are just further proof that he doesn't actually understand who she really is. Which is funny because like she's actually a super remarkable person but he literally can't see it because he can't see beyond this like version of her that he wants her to be but it's not who she actually is. I'm gonna save that for next week actually. I'm like going through my list of topics. Oh my gosh. Gonna run out of time for all of these. Um, Brief side note, Barb Azur, who's who's one of the members of the Covey, does canonically have a girlfriend and I'm like let us keep that in the film. Like we already cut Pluribus. I am begging you to like at least mention Barbazur's girlfriend. Um, so it makes it funny when, um, <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry, when, um, oh my gosh, when during the whole scene with like Mayfair's murder and, and Billy Top and whatever, 
when Lucy Gray shows up and Billy Top is like, oh, so like, is this your new boyfriend, whatever? And Lucy Gray is like, no, actually, like, Coriolanus is is dating my is dating my cousin Barbazur. And I'm like, okay, first of all, like it's obviously a lie. Like that that the point is just to kind of like deflect suspicion from the two of them. But I'm just like, Billy Top, bro, you were part of the covey and you didn't like, and you aren't aware that Barbazur is a lesbian. Like she openly has a girlfriend at this point in time, but like even so, like feels like something you would be aware of. And I just think it's really funny that she's like, yeah, Coriolanus is actually dating my cousin, but she's fully a lesbian and like Billy Top is just like, oh, anyway. <laughs> I just think that scene is so funny up until the part where people start getting murdered. That 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 line specifically is very funny to me that that's the lie she chooses and that Billy Top is just like, seems plausible. And I'm like, eh. um, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, Barbara Zero has a girlfriend slay keep that in the movie please please um it's about this point in the book too and it sort of already happened with their like weird little like half argument thing but Coriolanus and Lucy Gray start getting in these like almost like ideological debates which is funny because we also know that Sejanus and Strabo Plinth would have kind of the same thing and I said that like now that Strabo's not around Coriolanus was kind of taking on that role of like arguing his perspective with Sejanus and now he's doing it with Lucy Gray too and it's always stuff like do you seriously not have a problem with the stuff the capital is doing? And Coriolanus is like, no, not really. And it's like, mm. and this is sort of like, it seems like it happens really abruptly, but like, if you pay attention, it's not how like Lucy Gray's trust and faith in, in Coriolanus slowly dissolves throughout this section of the book because like it's, and it's little moments like this where he'll say something and she's like, that's not, that's not right. Like that's, that's messed up. Um, and so she's slowly becoming like wary of that side of him. But then he's like, oh, I'm going to run away with you. And she thinks like, oh, okay, maybe like, maybe this is my chance. She's very like, there are parts of this novel where she's really giving like, I can fix him. But in a way of like, she genuinely believes that he has the potential to be a good person and that she can help him get there. If he can just get away from all the like, like, if he could just get away from the society he lives in where he's, like, I need to have money and power to, like, be worth anything. Um, because that's, like, all he cares about. And so she actually does have faith in him in that way that she's, like, if we just get away from all of this, I do believe that there is a better person underneath all of that. Unfortunately for her, she's kind of wrong. Like, he kind of just sucks. Sorry, Lucy Gray. Um, hate that you had to find that out the really hard way, but... It is unfortunately true that Coriolanus Snow just sucks. He's just the worst. Sorry to say. Um, but yeah, her like trust in him is really pity. And then that's why at the end he's like, oh, she was all like making such a big deal about trust and I can't even trust her. And I'm like, maybe, like maybe because you're going after her with a gun. Have you considered that that's kind of concerning? Also, okay, I'm just going to say this now. Some people people have a lot of interesting theories about Lucy Gray and I will be unpacking those next week and getting into my own. Um, but one of them is always that Lucy Gray is Katniss's grandmother. And I'm like, okay, here's the thing with that. I don't think it's inherently a bad theory. I just think it can really easily be like picked apart. First of all, it's almost too obvious. Like I, I think that, especially for someone like Suzanne Collins, where like, you know, that like, she always has something deeper going on. And so the like Lucy Gray being Katniss's direct grandmother line 
or like lineage is too obvious. Also, I mean, if you're me and believe in my theory that Lucy Gray did not survive the end of this book, um, spoilers for next week. That's what I think. I have evidence. I have, there's more to it than that. But long story short, I don't think she's alive after this. So she couldn't be Katniss's grandmother anyway. But also, even if she did survive, she could literally never come back to District 12. And that is why Coriolanus is like, I don't care if she's dead or not, because she's never going to come back to 12 anyway, because like, hello. Um, So even if she did survive, she could never have come back to 12 and had a kid. Also, Maud Ivory is literally right there. And this is what I will say, I do do strongly believe in the theories that Maud Ivory is Katniss's grandmother. Because, first of all, one of the things we know about Katniss's father is, first of all, his love of music, which is why, like, the theories even started of, like, them being related. But also, he he has the same ability as Maud Ivory to, like, retain a song that you've only heard once. And also, like, again, because Maud Ivory has that ability, because it's, like, the, the hanging tree is the thing that is really convincing to me, because that is, not, like... Lucy Gray literally gets told that they can't play that song anymore after they played at Hoff's birthday party, which I can't get over that scene. Anyway, um, just the fact that he's like, I want to have a birthday party and invite this like local music troupe to come perform. I'm like, shut up. Anyway, so after that, they're like, so they're not going to be like playing the hanging tree out in public. So it's only going to be passed down like through the members of the cubby. Um, and Maud Irie, of course, is the one who's going to remember all those songs to pass them down because she can remember them after only hearing them once. And then there's also, like, the lake house because, like, that it's the same, like, lake and lake house that Katniss goes to and that her father canonically showed her and, like, teaches her to swim in that lake. So, like, and again, that's something very secret that, like, only a few people would know about. Um, also, no, 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 no Lucy Gray theories. I said I was going to leave that till next week. I do not have the time but I was just thinking about the lake. Anyway, next week, next week. I have to keep reminding myself. That's a next week thing. Um, What else? I feel like there's more evidence. Also, oh yeah, so, and that's where they would like harvest the Katniss. And so Maud Ivory would take Katniss's father there, presumably, and teach him to harvest the Katniss. And then he was like, wow, Katniss, that's a good name for a kid. Anyway, I'm just saying the dots are connecting. The dots are in fact connecting. Also like, you know, never, never. Point is, I have connected the dots. You know, let's just talk about Stannis. The way that within like a page, he's literally being arrested and you're like, this isn't looking good. And then one page later, he is fully dead. Like the speed at which that occurs is crazy. I was like, wait, he just got arrested and now he's dying and now he's dead and now we're just moving on. And like, that's my baby girl. Like, we, like, we have to pause. We have to pause. Yeah. And here's the thing. The second that Sejanus Plinth was introduced as a character in this book, I was like, he's dead. There is no scenario on earth where he survives the entirety of this book, okay? It's like fair, like you don't expect him to make it out of this alive, but still. And I was like prepared for that, you know? Like I was like, he's gonna die. And even it's like, you know, being hanged for treason, like kind of tracks in like what you would expect to happen with this character. But like... (sighs) When there's a character you know is doomed from the start, you would typically try to not get too attached to them, right? We were never going to be successful with that with Sejanus Plinth. He is a character designed for you to love him. 
And that is why his death hurts so much, even though it is in many ways predictable. And I'm not saying like the exact circumstances of it. Like I wasn't from the very beginning, like this is how he's going to die specifically. But like, you know, like it is very much like foreseen in the narrative that something like that is going to happen to him. But Suzanne Collins was like, I literally will make you all care about him even though you know he is going to die or that something bad is going to happen to him and you have no choice and I'm like girl why would you do that because now I'm actually so sad about it all the time um and seeing it on screen is literally going to break me I'm going to have a meltdown I'm going to be sobbing it's gonna be bad but he but the way Coriolanus literally records him confessing to helping the rebels and then like sends it off and is like, it'll be fine. Like, I'm sure it'll be fine. Um, but honestly, he just wants Sejanus gone in whatever means necessary. Because Sejanus, in his eyes, because I've said this before, but he always has to be the victim. Snow always has to be the victim, no matter what, even though he literally almost never is. But he has to be the victim so badly. And so he's like, Sejanus is literally ruining my life with all these like rebel plans. And like, he's going to get us both killed. And like, I need to do something about it. Rather than like, I don't know, helping the person that you are alleging to be friends with. But that's the thing is that he never actually cared about Sejanus. Like he never actually even like liked him really. And he just like wants him gone no matter what. So then he sees the opportunity with these Jabberjays. Like it's not like, it's not like they arrested Coriolanus and were like, tell us what Sejanus Plinth is up to. Or like, we're going to blah, blah, blah. He literally voluntarily presses record on that Jabberjay. And it's like, he, I'm not even saying he had to help Sejanus. Like, maybe he sh- would have if he was a good person. But, like, okay, fine. You don't want to get involved. Whatever. But just, like, listen to him and be, and, like, be like, okay, you do you. You don't have to record him confessing to treason. Like, I just... Ugh, it's so bad. It's literally so horrendous. Um. So, yeah. That scene, literally, when it gets to the end of that chapter and it's, like, any presses record, I was like... <gasps> Oh no, it's so bad for Sejanus. Um, but here's the other thing that I think about a lot that I feel like we don't talk about enough as a like fandom. Sejanus does not give Coriolanus up. And by that I mean Sejanus knows that Coriolanus killed Mayfair. And there are literally murder weapons out there. Like it can be proven. But Sejanus doesn't turn him in. And he, like, had the opportunity to. I'm, like, they definitely questioned him before they sent him to be killed. And they probably asked him if anyone else was involved. They probably asked him about the murders. And he probably just said Spruce killed them. Because that's what the Capitol assumed happened. And I'm just, like, he had to... And that's the other thing. is like, did Sejanus realize that it was Coriolanus's fault that he got executed? And it's, like, probably. Like, he's not an idiot. And... And they like, and they can, they kind of figured that Spruce didn't turn them in because he was like, when they arrested Spruce, he was like basically about to die. And there was like a little bit too much delay between like Spruce dying and then like Sejanus being arrested. And the only other people who knew were like Lucy Gray. How is she gonna, like, she would literally never, she would have to go to the base and like tell them, like, there was no way it was her. Billy Top and Mayfair Lib are both dead. And the fact that they knew all of it. It wasn't just, like, the murders. It wasn't just the black market weapons. It was, like, the whole plan. And Lil gets executed with him. So they knew the plan involved Lil, too, which, like, the original plan was to break her out. Like, that was the whole thing. He confessed to Coriolanus. So, like, it had to be Coriolanus. 
I don't think he knew about like the Jabberjay specifically, but he could assume that Coriolanus is the one who like turned him in. And like Sejanus Plinth, you are such a better man than me because like if that was me and I knew that Coriolanus turned me in, I would be like, okay, well he murdered Mayfair Lip and the murder weapons are out there if you look for them and like whatever because he literally got him killed, but he still didn't give him up in the end. And if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about Sejanus Plinth as a person, I don't know what will. Because that is his whole thing is that he is like above all else just a good person as truly as someone can be a good person, which is what makes his story so tragic because that gets exploited and his trust in Coriolanus gets exploited and his loyalty and all of that and it ends up getting him killed. Wow, I'm making myself sad. So I think that we need to move on. But first I need to read a quote because this quote literally ruined my life and also goes back to everything I'm saying about Snow being like, I'm literally such a victim all the time. It's so terrible that all these great things happen to me because I'm so amazing. It's like, shut up. But this quote says, Sejanus had been bent on self-destruction and Coriolanus had been swept along in his wake only to be deposited at the foot of the hanging tree himself. Man, just let that, let that sit. That one hits. Like sometimes I'll just read a line in these books and I'm like, Suzanne, girl, what possessed you to write that? And that's one of them. Also messed up immediately after Sejanus' execution, Snow goes back, he cries a bit and you're like, whatever, I don't feel bad for you because it's literally your fault. And then he like, (laughs) he takes the money that Sejanus had been hiding, first of all. And he also eats the cookies that Ma Plinth sent him. And I'm like, do you not see what is wrong with you? Like, do you not understand why you are, like, that you're so messed up? Um, Especially when we know that, like, the, oh my gosh, you know, let's just say it now. The way he basically replaces Sejanus in his family, my jaw, the entire epilogue of this book, my jaw was just on the floor. Because I was still, like, reeling from, like, the everything that happened with, like, Sejanus and Lucy Gray and all of that. And then, like, to read that epilogue and he's like, yeah, the Plints, like, basically adopted me, and they pay for everything, and Strabo's, like, basically my dad now, and, like, it's so great, and I'm like, so Janus Plinth, I am so sorry that you couldn't have been friends with literally any other person who would not have gotten you killed and taken your place in your own family, but alas, you were friends with Coralina Snow, so it happened, but yeah, it's just, it's so messed up. I don't even have other words for it beyond this is so messed up. Anyway, Um, let's just move along because now we have to get into the whole, like, running away plan and and all of that (laughs) because that's just a whole different thing. So, yeah, now Coriolanus is like, okay, I'm going to run away with Lucy Gray. It's like, okay, great. Um, and he, and then, and then, oh my gosh, and then he gets called in and they're like, congratulations, you passed the officer's exam. You're the youngest person ever do it. Like, you're going to go to the officer's school. And he literally is like, I would abandon Lucy Gray in a heartbeat if it weren't for those murder weapons. That's his only thought. He's like, I'll put the murder weapons. So like, I still have to run away. And then he, okay, first of all, first of all, they're going to the cabin and they're talking about like murder, basically. um, And like the people they've had to kill to survive. And and Coriolanus is like, yeah, three people is enough. Like, I never want to kill anyone again. And Lucy Gray is like, who was the third? Because she obviously knows about Bobbin and Mayfair Lip, but like the third obviously being Sejanus. But she's like, who's the third? And this idiot is like, oh, just like my former self. I let listen. Lucy Gray Baird is not stupid. 
she heard that and was like, yeah, this man definitely killed someone else. And the fact that he's not telling me about it, hmm, a little bit shady, a little bit shady. Um, and it's unclear if she does put it together that he's talking about Sejanus, but like, she definitely thought about it. Like, you know, she wanted to believe he wouldn't have turned Sejanus in, but also like, she has to consider it, you know? And so, yeah, like, it's not really made explicit whether or not she connected those dots, but like, either way, he either killed Sejanus or he killed someone else, like, bad enough either way, and he's hiding it from her, which is the big thing, because again, like, trust, trust, it's all about trust. So she's already like, hmm, it's not looking good, <laughs> um, maybe he's actually terrible. And then they get to the cabin, and he finds the murder weapons. And he's like, oh my gosh, if I can just get rid of these, I can go back to base, like nothing ever happened and go get my little officer job and it'll all be great. And then Lucy Gray is like, okay, I'm going to go like harvest some Katniss, whatever. And this is where like the unreliable narrator thing really kicks in because we're obviously still getting all this in third person, but from Coriolanus's perspective. And this scene is just written so, so well because you're like, so conflicted on what's true and what's not and whatever so yeah lucy gray goes out and he's like she's been gone for a while and then he's like oh my gosh what if she's like trying to betray me what if she's gonna like run off like or turn me in whatever so he walks out of the cabin with a loaded gun and then he's like lucy gray where are you like we need to talk and then realizes that she's kind of running away from him and he's like why is she running away from me you're holding a loaded gun that you used to kill someone in the past. Like, it's literally your own murder weapon. Um, and so then he's, like, chasing after her, whatever. And he's like, I can't believe that she thinks I would hurt her. Once again, you are holding a gun. She's she is running because she saw you come out of the cabin with a loaded gun. Looking for her. Yelling her name. I would run, too. I don't care how well I know a person. If I see that, I'm running. Forget trust. I am running. And then... <sighs> Uh, and then he starts like yelling off her whatever and then he finds her scarf with like a snake under it and the snake bites him this is hilarious because we do learn that the snake was not actually venomous so he's like oh my gosh i'm really gonna die i'm literally having hallucinations i'm literally throwing up and it's like that was just a non-venomous snake which like you would have known if you actually paid attention to her because she never the only time she used venomous snakes was in the arena the snake she gave to Mayfair Lip, like all that stuff. She never used venomous snakes. It was all designed to scare a person. But again, he never actually paid that much attention to her. So he thinks that he's like going to die. Um, and this is another thing. It's like, we don't actually know for sure if Lucy Gray put that snake there. I can infer that she did probably because again, he was coming at her with a gun and she was like, I need to do something. So she was like, this should kind of throw him off, get him panicked. And then I will have a chance to escape. Also, that's the reason why she starts like singing and then the Mockingjays pick it up because it'll like disorient him and throw him off and he won't be able to find her. Like she is very intelligent and also like was in the arena and won the Hunger Games. So like she can survive a situation like this. And then he basically just starts like firing into the woods and it's like, what? A, what, what? Like, because <laughs> he's like, she put the snake there. She's trying to kill me. I have to kill her first. And it's like, why? maybe if you just like calm down for a second, this whole scene is crazy. Anyway. Um, and so, yeah, then she, like, he's shooting at her or whatever, and then, like, he basically decides, like, okay, it's fine. He dumps the murder weapons in the lake. Um, we're gonna talk about Lucy Gray and what happened to her next week, so I'm not going to go there right now. And then he, like, goes back to base, and he's like, I got bit by a snake. He's like, I was tying my shoe when a snake bit me. And the fact that they just believe that, I'm like, wow. <laughs> anyway, 
And then he's like, the snake bit me. I'm going to die. And then the medic's like, that thing is literally not venomous. And he's like, but I was like throwing up and having hallucinations. And they're like, probably because you were freaking out for no reason. And he's like, okay, whatever. So like, I'm fine. And then, oh, I forgot I skipped something. Oh my gosh. So when they're like literally at the lake, they've literally been there for like maybe a couple hours. And he's like, I'm not cut out for this life. Like foraging for food, having to fit, like, I can't do this. And he's like, he, I also wrote down this quote that says, what was there to aspire to once wealth, fame, and power had been eliminated? And it's like, how about like happiness, bro? Have you ever heard of it? Um, but yeah, the fact that he's like, there's literally no meaning to life if I can't pursue money and, and power. And it's like, well, <laughs> then, and this is where I get into the, like, could he have ever actually run off with Lucy Gray and had a happy life? And I feel like this quote right here proves that no, he never was going to do that, no matter what the circumstances were. Um, like even if he hadn't found no murder weapons, I guarantee you he would not have gone off with her. Like I am willing to put money on that, or that he would have found a way to come back. Anyway, now I need to read from this paragraph that's like around that same time, whatever. And he's like, "This is my life now. It's terrible." And then he says, "Oh my gosh, I want to strangle him." He knew this would be easier if he wasn't such an exceptional person, the best and the brightest humanity had to offer. The youngest to pass the officer candidate test. If he'd been useless and stupid, the loss of civilization would not have hollowed out his insides in this manner. He'd have taken it in stride. I have never wanted a person to shut up more in my life. The whole, like, this would be easier if I wasn't such an exceptional person. I literally hate, I, like, I am literally going to murder you myself, actually. Um, Because, like, yeah, and the whole, like, there's literally no point to life if I can't, like, pursue wealth. And it's like, well... You could just, like, embrace life with this girl that you supposedly love. Like, I'm not saying surviving in the wilderness is going to be, like, easy or, like, super fun all the time. But, like, the fact that your only purpose in life is, like, how can I get more money? How can I get more power? How can I be more, like, respected and, and admired by my peers? Like, that is never going to be a fulfilling life. And also, you're the worst if that's all you care about. He's, like, literally proving the, like, all he cares about is power thing. And the fact that he'd been having doubts about going with her since, like, the second he stepped off the base, you're just like, yeah, no, he's not going to go along with this. Even beyond, like, knowing the plot of the original books and knowing that he does become the president of Panem, so obviously he doesn't run off into the wilderness with this girl. Even if I didn't know all of that, like, if I just picked up this book and read it standalone, I could have told you he was not going to run off with her. He also, like, throw. this is also unrelated, but once he goes back, he's like, oh, my mother's powder got wet and, like, my photos of, like, my family and stuff got wet. I'll just throw them away. But I'll keep my father's compass. And it's such a, like, metaphor for the fact that, like, he was kind of, and everyone was always, like, your father was literally the worst, but we kind of liked your mother, so, like, hopefully you turn out more like her. And this is him literally throwing that away, like, literally and metaphorically and, like, embracing that he is exactly like his father. And he's, like, that's a good thing. It's, like, no, it isn't. It's actually terrible Um, because he was the worst and everyone hated him with good reason same thing with like going back to dr gall and he's like this whole time he's been like she's crazy i hate her and then she's like hey do you want to study with me at the university and he's like oh my gosh i love you you're my favorite person ever i definitely want to learn from you and it's like so you didn't actually care about the bad things she was doing you just cared that she, you thought she didn't like you or that she could be a threat to you and now that she's like helping you you're like she's great that's how he is all the time though so we were not surprised also dr gall is such a good villain because the way she's like this was my plan all along Glad it worked out exactly the way I wanted. She's an incredible antagonist. Wow. I love that. The fact that they wrote such a good antagonist for a book in which the like main character is one of the worst antagonists of all time in terms of like horrible things he does. And they managed to be like, 
oh, here's an also equally as awful person who like morphed him into who he come becomes later on. Like it's just so good. She's an incredible character. And then we have the epilogue, which I could probably do a full episode on just the epilogue, but I am running short on time, so I'm just gonna kind of speed through it. Um he poisons High Bottom, which this is like his first poisoning, and like we know that's like his go-to in the future. Like when there's a problem, he's like, I'll just poison them. So the fact that his first one was High Bottom, and this is also when we learn because High Bottom's always credited as the creator of the game, so we knew there was some like weird beef between him and Crassus Snow. And this is when we learn the truth, which is that he it was a class project basically, and High Bottom came up with the idea for the Hunger Games, and he was like drunk, and Crassus Snow kind of like got him going, and then in the morning he was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I even thought of that. We could never show that to Gaul, but then Crest Snow was like, mm, I'm actually going to because I want to get a good grade. And she was like, wow, this is a great idea. Let me just like file that away. And then the war happens and ends. And she's like, look at this fantastic idea that Casca Highbottom came up with. Because by that point, Crest Snow was already dead. And then lo and behold, we have the Hunger Games, which like not shocking to me at all that Crest Snow was involved in the creation of the Hunger Games, especially when Coriolanus Snow ends up being like one of the main factors in upholding them and like making them into what they become. But you know, that's the tea there. And then he kills Highbottom and I'm like, wow, just uh, Highbottom, you were so interesting. So sorry you had to die the way that you did. Here's another thing that I think about every single day is that Dr. Gall was high bottom and crassus nose like teacher when they were in school and she's portrayed to be like an older woman in the book but thinking about the movie and like they have to keep that because that is like essential lore to everyone's backstory to galls to high bottoms to snow himself like that has to be kept intact in the movie viola davis and peter dinklage are like the same age i think she's like a few years older than him because she's like 50 seven I think and he's probably like he's around the same age maybe a little younger but like not by much but she's like their she was like their teacher and I was like I hope they just are like I I like I accept the headcanon that she just aged like really well or not that she aged really well but that she was just so messed up from all these like experiments she was doing and being in the lab all the time and probably being around a ton of like chemicals and like doing weird experiments that she just looks messed up. So like age doesn't really affect her that much because she just has looked that like that for like ever. Like, I feel like the, she's one of those people that's like, you just looked really old and messed up for your entire life. But I just think it's funny to think about that. I'm like, she's supposed to be like a decent amount older than them because she was like literally their teacher when they were still like 18 year olds. Um, but I just think it's funny. I just think it's funny. And I think I thought about that as soon as that casting was announced. And I was like, isn't she supposed to be like a decent a bit older than them? Um, but whatever. It's not that it actually matters. It's just funny to think about. And I do accept my headcanon that she just like looks like that forever indefinitely. Especially because people in the capital are always doing like weird things to themselves. I'm like, I don't No one looks how old they actually are. I literally don't care at this point. Anyway, that's the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. I really had to speed run this episode. I would love to elaborate more on like half the things I talked about. If there is anything you want me to elaborate on more, send it to me. Um, and I can fill it into like various episodes that I do over the rest of the summer and until Ballad comes out in the fall. But yeah, we finished all the books. Thank you so much for following along, reading along, and be sure to stick around because I am not going away just because I finished the books. I have plenty more to talk about. I have a lot of fun things that I have in the works and all of the obviously talking about the Ballad of Song for the Snakes movie is going to be very fun and I will have 
I'm definitely gonna have more than one episode on that um and in the weeks leading up to it so stick around because there is more to come thanks for joining me this week on Tales of Panem next week is the first week of the month so I'll be doing my monthly character study episode on Lucy Graybeard and as a reminder starting next week I will be switching to bi-weekly episodes so episodes will be released every other Thursday rather than every Thursday if you have any specific questions or topics you'd like me to cover, you can DM them to me on any social media or send them to my email, which is talesofpanam at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave a review or a rating of the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, it would be very appreciated. Thanks again for listening, and I'll be back next week. Uh-huh.